everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. You can listen to us live here on Blog Talk Radio, or you can find us on just about every podcast site there is. So go to your favorite site, your favorite app, or you can check us out, all the shows on the network, at soundcloud.com forward slash Authors on the Air. There are 20 active shows in this network, including video casts. I think you'll have a good time. This month, we are celebrating Women's History Month or Women's Her Story Month. And I couldn't let this month go by without inviting award-winning in New York Times and USA Today and Publishers Weekly, best-selling author Lori Wilde, uh, invite her to the show. Lori's written um, 87 works of romantic fiction. Her books have been translated into 26 languages. I could not even imagine trying to remember what all of those are. I don't think I know 26 languages. Um, More than 4 million copies of her books have sold worldwide. She is um, a registered nurse. She is a fifth-generation Texas, and she lives with her husband in the cutting horse capital of the world where they run Epiphany Orchards, which is a writing and creative retreat for the care and enrichment of the artistic soul. I am also happy to call Laurie Wilde my friend. We met many years ago and continue to see each other occasionally at book festivals and at book conferences. It is my honor to welcome Lori Wilde to the show. Lori, thank you for coming back, my friend. I miss you. Oh, I miss you too, Pam, and I'm just so excited to be here. You know I always love to have a good conversation with you. I know, and we always do, don't we? We always have fun whenever we're talking. Lori and I have met at the Southwest Readers Fest um, when she was here two two years ago, three years ago. I can't remember when it was. Four years ago, Lori was here. Um, we sat behind uh, another author's table and talked the whole afternoon. I, I didn't want to socialize with anybody but Lori. We went to dinner, drank a bottle of wine, and talked for hours. I probably drove you crazy. Uh, and then we've seen each Not other at, at, at BoucherCon and Thriller Fest and, you know, all the other events that have gone on. I'm so thrilled that you came back to celebrate this wonderful month with me. So my first question to you is, who is your Shiro? Goodness. <laughs> that, that, that's a, well, you are for one, actually. Uh, all that you've done for uh, authors. Uh, just Aww. How you started from, from just being a fan and, and just built this huge business. I mean, that's a big accomplishment, Pam. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I want to know who your Shiro is who made such a positive impact on your life. I would have to say it's my cousin, Judith Ivey, who's a Tony Award winning, two-time Tony Award winning Broadway actress. Um, I was raised out in the country, sticks nobody I knew was, you know, very smart or educated or sophisticated. But Judith got out, and I always thought, well, if Judith can get out, I can too. (laughs) And so you you went to nursing school, and, you know, this is a lot of it because I don't know if you maintain your license or not, Lori, but, you know, um, 
as you know, I'm a survivor of domestic violence, and nurses saved my life when doctors were unwilling to come to an emergency room because it was, quote, just a domestic. Um, the nurses on shift at the hospital and the emergency room at the hospital in Miami, where I was transported, um, stayed beyond their shift to be with me until the doctor uh, deigned he was ready to come in to operate on me. So I have a very special place in my heart for nurses. Um, why did you choose nursing? It, it goes with your personality. You're very compassionate. You're very generous and you're very kind and you're very loving. And I know you're very nurturing too, but why nursing? How did you choose that as your first profession? It was my dad's idea, <laughs> honestly, because he would tell me, uh, you know, you're the oldest out of five. We can't, like, support you while you lay around and write. You've got to get out there and get a real job. <laughs> and really? um, he had a cousin that, it, yeah, he had a cousin that had been a nurse, and she'd done very well for herself. And so he held her up as an example. And he said, here's the thing, honey, you can always get a job. Well, later, after I'd been nursing for a few years, I came back and I said, you want to know why you can always get a job? <laughs> it's a really hard job. It's a really uh, hard job. Yeah. Doctors have it easy compared to nurses because the true caregivers, whether it's in trauma, whether it's on the floor, whether it's in a doctor's office, no matter what, the true caregivers are the nurses who sometimes know more intimate details about patients than the doctor does and actually care more too. Yeah. And the one thing that I, I was pretty good at my job, but the one thing that always bothered me was I would get too emotionally invested in my patients. And, you know, if right. something would happen, it would just tear tear me apart. You know, that, that to me was, was the hardest part of the job. And then that, and then there was so much bureaucracy. You could, and you were the only advocate for the patient, really. And you were just having to fight doctors and, and um, administration. administration. And, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. You're, you're right, and and the people who do the most caregiving are the ones who are paid on the lowest rung of the pay scale, and um, so I can understand. So you always knew you wanted to be a writer, though? Yes. From the time I was seven years old, my dad took me to a book signing because he had introduced books to me from little Betty he would read to me. And so I loved books, and so he took me to a book signing where there was an actual author, and it dawned on me that that real person had written that book. And um, so from then on, that's what I wanted to do. Do you remember who the author was? I don't. It was a it was a children's author. It was just somebody that had come oh. locally, and I just I just remember um, it dawning on me that real people wrote them, as they just weren't magically there. You know? <laughs> It is kind of amazing if you grow up as a reader, you forget that someone is behind those words and those pages. And to me, they always felt mythical because anyone who could write a book was, to me, the smartest person in the world. Uh, I mean, it just, you know, and, and you know I'm a fangirl of writers. <laughs> and and, and oh, I, are. I love I love anyone who can write a book because, you know, I barely can get an email out without having to spell check it and then say, oh, my God, this makes no sense. You know, or one of the staff will say, what the, What are you trying to say here? It's not making any sense to me. <laughs> so, 
But I read like there's no, you know, there's the house is on fire, as as you well know, and I read across genre. You and I have a particular love for thrillers, don't we? Yes, they're my favorite. Shh, don't tell the romance people. <laughs> well, but, you know, that's okay. You're writing with what you know. Uh, you have a very long, successful marriage with someone who supports you very much. So I understand. Um, did you grow up reading romance first? Um, no, how I got actually into reading romance was my father was a journalist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and uh, he knew the book reviewer, and the book reviewer knew I was an avid uh, reader. And so every Friday, he would leave big stacks of my dad for the books that he didn't want to read, which were the romances, and my dad romances. would bring them home for me. <laughs> so if you are a writer, you have to absolutely be a reader, don't you? I I don't see how you couldn't be a writer without being a reader i mean how do you even learn how story structure works if you don't read you know it's it's interesting to me because i belong in a you know a podcasters group and someone said i want to know how to make money doing a podcast and (laughs) the group kind of said well what are you going to podcast about he said i don't care whatever makes money and everybody kind of just (laughs) chuckled and said really Guess what? It doesn't work like that. You can't say, I want to get rich. What product should I design, manufacture, or sell? You, you know, you've got, to, you've got to piece that all together. And so it's kind of the same way. I have had people who have said to me, I have a story. What should I do? And I said, you should write your story down. You should belong to a critique group. You should be talking to editors. You ought to be taking classes. You ought to read a lot of books. Oh, I don't like to read. (laughs) That's always the answer. (laughs) And I think, how how do you know how to form a story then? I mean, some of my author friends tell me they take books. I mean, they'll get like two copies of the same book, one to keep and one to highlight and write in the margins and see where story arcs are and things like that. So I guess, can you take creative writing classes or writing classes? It doesn't make up for not reading, does it? I don't think that it does. You have to have all of it. I mean, I just um, think it, it's it's part, part and parcel. It's part of the whole education of your of an author is to, to read. Um, how I actually got started writing because I was such an avid reader was um, – I would read in school and I would slip my paperback in between my school book and I kept getting caught. And so I thought, well, what if I just start writing stories? And they thought I was taking notes and no one ever caught me doing that. Um, you, you started writing for which imprint when you're, for, uh, cause I have all your books. You, you sent those to me, the old ones. <laughs> yeah. My early ones. <laughs> yeah. Your early Harlequin um, books, I, right? Yeah, I started writing my very first one with Silhouette Romance, was where I sold my first book. How did you feel when they accepted your t- your book? Oh, well, because I had been visualizing it for so long and had seen it in my head and had even not even done a vision board that um, it kind of happened to just how I pictured it. So um, it, it was, you know, I can still I can still tell you the day, the time, everything. <laughs> How wonderful. I know. 
I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lori. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, you, to celebrate. I was going to say to to celebrate my first book. I'd, I'd had champagne in the refrigerator, but I'd also it, I sold in January. I'd had fireworks left from the fourth, uh, the first of the uh, new year, and so um, uh-huh. we set off uh, bottle rockets, and they went to the field next door and caught the field on fire, and we had to call the volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never forget your first book, right? <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> so the you have 87 works of romantic fiction and now women's fiction. You and I have been talking for years about you writing in women's fiction. I would imagine, and I could be wrong, but I would imagine because you've been writing so long, was it a big leap for you or not to write women's fiction? Well, because I had written uh, my, my Twilight Texas series, it's, it's kind of based on the community. Oh, yeah. So I had written, written those books with a lot of different characters before. So that was not any much different. What was different was learning the balance of how much romance to put in there. Because, you know, there's a little romance thread through all the women's fictions, mostly. Right. mostly. Um, right. How much romance to put in there plus, plus relationships? It was like flipped from how I, how you do it in romance. So um, that that was a little bit of a learning curve. I had to like throw some stuff out and start over. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if I if you know this, but I have every single one of your books, and they are on my shelf. You take up like five shelves in one of my bookcases because oh, no. you've always. <laughs> Yeah, you've always sent them to me, and I've always requested them from your publisher, and or I've always purchased them, so I have all your books. Within the span of 12 months, how many books have you written now? Um, are we counting some of the ones I've co-authored with them? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's 23. You know, when you started self-publishing and you did your series on the guys, I can't remember what you called that series, but um, uh-huh. I started reading those. I was crazy for those books, and I was like, oh, this is wonderful. You are now a, what is called a hybrid author. You are traditionally published, but you're also self-published. What do you like and dislike about the two? Oh, I love self-publishing because you're just in complete control. You know, well, you can do whatever you want as long as it pleases the reader. That's the only person that you have to um, consider. You don't have to consider what anybody else thinks but what your reader wants. And so that's just complete freedom, you know. And I guess that could be the downside, too, is maybe you just, like, don't rein yourself in like you should without any gatekeepers there. Um, but that's that's kind of a joy of it, isn't it? To be able to yeah. not have a gatekeeper because you get pigeonholed, is, don't you, Lori? You you do you do it and um, but sometimes they're holding you back for a reason and you may not know what it was and then you just kind of sprawl out there and then you get some negative comments and you realize, Oh, my publisher wouldn't have let me do that. <laughs> well, but you know, how do you know unless you try, right? And you've had such That's good success true. with all the books. So I, I mean, yeah. you're, you're, I, I have never seen you backing away from anything. I don't know if people know that you um, also are a yogi. 
You and I mm-hmm. have shared some funny stories about being a, a yoga person and and some of the folks you've met. And I think when you did Epiphany Orchard was really your intention was to inv- have a writing, re- but also in- to incorporate some of that yoga and meditation and vision boarding and things like that. Um, are you still doing yoga? Yes, I am. In fact, I have a group that's coming out to meet with me on Monday about um, staging some um, events here. So I'm still doing How it. It's just, it's just something kind of on the side. It's not like a primary thing that I do, but yeah. I remember when you first bought the place and you called it a ranchette. Can you explain to listeners what that means <laughs> in Texas terms? That means, that means there's not enough land for it to be a real ranch. <laughs> And what but it's, qualifies it's more land it a, than, Well, yeah, well, what qualifies oh, it? Because everything's, uh, you know, listen, I'm from Miami where there's no such thing as land. And now, you know, I'm in Fort Myers and we we are geographically the same square miles as Miami or Dade County is. But we have a tenth of the people living here. Uh, so hmm. uh, in relationship, I can't figure out what a ranchette and a ranch is and the difference in size. Is there like a way you can quantify it? Well, some people, it depends on, you know, like city people, they would call two acres a ranch or a farm. Um, but uh, officially, I would say like 360, what they gave when you came west. 368 acres or something like that I would say anything smaller than that it's not a ranch it's just mind I can't even imagine that you know unless I'm like in a national park or something I've not or or Disney World Um, and you are you are being animals you are you have a well um, that's (laughs) yeah that kind of happened Tell us about your 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 um, your cows and bulls, and you have a donkey now. Is that right? Yes, we have a donkey. Yes, the <laughs> Longhorns. They had been they're rescue Longhorns. They had been uh, seized from a ranch in uh, in the middle of Texas from some elderly lady. Had um, 350 cattle on 40 acres, which each cow should have oh, no. at least minimum an acre. Yeah. Oh, wow. So um, they they seized them from her. They were on death's door, and some of them they had to put down. But they they brought them up here to North Texas, and uh, they rehabilitated them. And when we heard about it, we said, "Oh, well, we want to adopt, you know, a few." Well, we went we went to get two. We got there, and we were enamored. And so we said, well, "We can we can handle four. So after we had already paid <laughs> the adoption fees and had them in the trailer, they they were waving bye to us, and they said, "Oh, by the way, they've been in the pasture with bulls." <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so the next spring, like last spring, uh yeah, we we our herd doubled. So <laughs> wow. And then someone a, a neighbor or something had a mule and you said, "Oh, okay, we'll take it," right? Yeah, he was across the street and everybody loved him and would would go across the street when we had guests to play with the donkey and then when we saw the donkey was for sale, we said, "No, we'll just walk him across the street." <laughs> So, uh, oh my goodness, he, he's here. <laughs> Do you have other animals uh, at your ranchette? We have chickens and then um, the dogs <laughs> and the cat. And <laughs> See, this is why you're so perfect because you are an animal lover, you're a collector of things that bring light to your life, and I love that about you. 
Can we please talk about the Moonglow Sisters? I am so okay. excited about this book. Tell us your inspiration, perspiration, determination, and whatever else you want to talk about for the Moonglow Sisters. Um, I wanted to do a story, um, even though I was raised in West Texas, which is just basically sand and cactus and rattlesnakes and not much else. Uh, I wanted to do, I love the beach. So once I ever got to the beach, I, I really loved it. So I wanted to do a beach book, um, but I wanted to set it in Texas. I wanted to keep the book story in Texas. So I, I fictionalized a, a area on the Texas Gulf Coast and uh, put three mm-hmm. sisters there that were estranged. And then I had to figure out why they were estranged. <laughs> And what had happened, and um, the, the story's about how they um, get back together after they've there, an incident happened, and and they aren't speaking to each other for five years, and so the story is about how they come back together. Um, what was was it difficult for you to sit down and write this, Lori, or did it kind of flow for you because? I'm not sure. Did you visualize the story before you um, started writing? I knew some things that I wanted in the story. Um, there, there was a particular thing that actually happened in my life that I knew I wanted to be where one of the sisters had gone and something that had happened to her. Um, right. and I wanted to feature that in the book. And, um, then I knew, as I was looking at the sisters, I knew that the main one that had to tell the story had to be the most grounded sister. That um, right. So I started telling it from her point of view because she's the one that has to bring them all together. So um, it it took some work. After my first draft, I turned it in my you know because I've been writing romance. My editor said, "Yeah, it's cut out about eighty percent of it and start over." No. Yeah, well, what I'd no. done is I had started in the wrong place. I had started in the wrong place. I I was telling too much of what was going on in their current life and not put, putting them together and getting started right from the beginning. And that that's, that's she was right. You know, she, she was right about that. Um, are so you happy with a little the way bit of throat clearing? Did you, are you I am very happy with the way it, I did. I am very happy with the way it turned out. I, I look at it and I think, you know, it just, it really came together. Uh, once I kind of understood that I had started in the wrong place and once I got where the right place was, it, it flowed at that point. But, you know, wow. I was after two months of writing and throwing it out. <laughs> so, you know, you've written 87 books, and it's a remarkable to me because I, I can't even imagine that many, including your 24 in a year period of time. But um, And none of your stories are template. They're all different. Um, and I have to tell you, one of my favorite series is anything having to do with the Marfa Lights. So, (laughs) interestingly enough, I'm a big fan of Popular Science Magazine, and oftentimes Uh I read about Marfa Lights in Popular Science, and I always want to copy it and send it to you and say, look, I thought (laughs) about you when I was reading this. (laughs) Because when I first heard about it, I think the first time we did an interview together, I asked you about it, Mm -hmm. and you said, oh, no, it's real. And so after that, mm-hmm. every time I saw a story about the Marfa Lights, maybe you could explain to listeners about what the Marfa Lights are. It's kind of like your uh, own, the Marfa- uh, isn't it kind of like your own, uh, 
um, I don't know, whatever they call it in Alaska when all the lights are in the sky there. It's kind like of your own version Borealis. of it. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it, yeah, in 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 west out in west southwest Texas in the Trans Pecos, there's a town called Marfa, and outside of Marfa, there's these these lights appear in the sky, and they've been, you know, people have been reporting them for 200 years. They're not, you know, anything new, and um, they don't always they're not always there. I, I, we did actually get to see them once when we went down there. Um, it's very exciting when you see them. And at first, people thought, well, oh, they're just some kind of reflections from. Uh, car lights but they said no native americans reported seeing them you know long before there were cars and um they had teams come out from all over from the university of texas and uh, they have the mcdonald's observatory there which people came out from that to try to figure out what was going on and they've never been able to definitively say what causes them because they're not always there you know sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not but when they're there they're always like in the same sort of pattern in the same place um but no one knows what causes it, but everybody kind of wants them to leave it alone because if science explained it, then the magic's gone. So, It's true. It's true, right? Leave it to scientists to explain it all away or somebody else, and it ruins it for everyone. Um, yeah. Are you writing another book in the Moon Glow Sisters series, or are you going to start another women's uh, fiction book? It is another women's fiction, but it is in the Moon Glow uh sisters uh the same town the Moonglow cove texas and uh this is this one's the keepsake sisters and i just turned in the first draft um i'll be getting revisions here soon and can get to work on it uh it'll be coming out next um february tell everyone where they can find you on the web please i'm at loriwild.com pretty easily i'm on facebook twitter instagram um guess that's it you're everywhere you're everywhere you can go on Lori's page and and find out where she is she's got um facebook twitter pinterest and instagram her website is beautiful it's lovely it's filled with um blue are those blue bonnets or bluebells i'm not sure what they call them out in texas blue bonnets yeah blue 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 bonnets right 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 Lori, if you had to say who I you talked about your cousin Judith and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Is there a female writing inspiration for you or a, a female writing shiro for you? Mm-hmm. Is there someone you'd I'm like to, to think meet? There's, there's so many. Um, <laughs> Ann Tyler. How many actually, there? I really. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah. Ann Tyler. I, yeah, I, yeah. I just I, her. Books are just so different. She can make ordinary, mundane people seem so compelling. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Laurie Wild, I love you. <laughs> thank you, Pam. You, thank, you, thank you for coming on Authors on the Air. And I hope you'll come back and, and I hope you'll guest host one time. Will you do that? Yes, I will. Okay. This is Lori Wild. The new book is The Moon Glow Sisters. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Not only that, but all of her books. And go and look at her book list on her website at lauriwild.com, books, forward slash books. You will see all the books there that are available. I've read every single one of them gladly and joyously. Thank you for being with me, Lori. Thank you for having me, Pam. It's been my pleasure.
Always, always, always. And listeners, thank you for being with me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.